Hi, this is Pastor Tim, and I'm always encouraged to hear what God is doing in your life. Now, if you have a story or a testimony to share regarding a miracle, please let me know at story at citylifefw.org. That's story at citylifefw.org. Hey, I'm looking forward to hearing your personal story soon. Now, the the fun thing is, is though that you know, if, if you've been with me for a few weeks, you know that I have this rule book that I'm using, and and every time I, I share another message, somebody tears some of my rules out. And and Emily Atkinson, I saw you over here. Would you come on up here on the platform? You were you were over there playing with the rule book today, and uh, and you you were showing them to you were showing the rule book to your husband Jordan Atkinson. He loves. He he could probably list about five thousand extra, right? Yes, he would create probably a spreadsheet in an Excel to do it, too. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, I thought about allowing him to come over there, but but he would probably tear each piece into, like, individual little perfectly slide. And it's like, oh, that's okay. We'll be Emily up here. It'll just be kind of crazy. And so, so Emily, I know you were going through the rule book. And, and uh, what rule did you find in there today? I found never get angry. Oh, you've never broken that rule before, have you? No, no. No, never, never, never. Jordan, no, okay, wait, wait, we'll, just, we'll, we'll save that for, for a private meeting later. But uh, never get angry. So that's the rule that I'm encouraging you to break today. Those of you who are a little freaked out at this point, just stay calm, stay with me through the message, all right? But here's what I'd like for us to do. We need to give her a little bit of help. So we're going to say, we're going to say, tear it up. Tear it up. Okay, so ready? Come on. Get to rule number four. We got to encourage her because she's really shy, okay? <laughs> That's a lie also. But come on. Let's go. Tear it up. Tear. Come on. Come on, guys. You tore up the whole rule book. <laughs> no. Oh, sorry. She, give her a big hand. She did great. Uh, no, you're not sorry. You're kind of laughing about it. Go ahead and have a seat. <laughs> Okay, this is a really interesting subject because anger is a broad term. And and just to start off with, there are expressions of anger that are good, and there are some expressions of anger that are not good. They're ungodly. Unfortunately, a lot of anger is destructive and it's harmful. Uh, And that's what I'm going to encourage you to avoid today as well. Help you set up some boundaries and understand how to work through anger. Now, when thinking about anger, I think about one of my favorite, one of my favorite movie characters. Her name starts with Mad, M-A-D, and it's Madea. And if, do any of you guys know who Madea is? Madea. When I was sharing this with my staff earlier this week, they're like, well, we aren't, half the staff didn't even know like, who Madea was, and I was greatly upset about that. But, but, but uh, Madea is a, is a character that was created all oh, about 15 years ago by Tyler Perry. Uh, Tyler Perry's in a phenomenal actor, one of my favorite actors, and he portrays this Madea, and, and he, he, this Madea that he created, he he calls this this character, he says, and this is a quote, exactly the PG version of my mother and my aunt. So uh, I, I think that's kind of interesting. It's definitely the PG mo- version, and this is the PG service. The, the G-rated services are back there anyway. But uh, but but this is a this is this is a really neat example of uh, 
of anger that that I'm going to show you in just a minute because one of my all-time favorite scenes with Medea is when she goes through a drive-through. Have any of you guys just had a horrible drive-through experience before? I mean, come on, come on, we all have. We've we've had those horrible things. I have had my unfair share of drive-through experiences, and and sometimes I feel like when I'm pulling up, it's just going to be bad. It's going to be bad, and you just never know. And it, a lot of times, it is. Sometimes it's great, but but this this little this little drive-through episode of Medea has to be probably my favorite of all of Medea's many, many, many outbursts that are recorded in the movies. And I want us to take a look at Medea at the drive-through and learn about what not to do when we get angry. Take a look at it. All right, now let's be honest. There's a little bit of Medea in all of us, isn't there? I love it, but Medea, despite how much I love that character... She is not expressing anger appropriately, okay? So that's not what I'm talking about today. But because of of crazy outbursts of anger, there's this popular notion today that says never get angry because, after all, we're all civilized and professional, right? But I'm arguing that we need to break that rule. Um, But there's a right and a wrong way to break it. And all now, you know, I'm going to take it to Jesus. Really, it all starts with Jesus, what Jesus says. And, and Jesus brought us this contrast between what he calls what the thief or hell, Satan, comes to bring us and then what he came to bring us. And Jesus says this in John 10, 10. Take a look at the contrast. He says, the thief comes, that's hell, that's Satan. He comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, that, that makes that, that makes God upset, all right? That, that does, all right? But he, Jesus says, but I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. So what I do is, is I choose to focus on the life thing. And, and where there's life, there's energy, there, there's, there's purpose, and there's passion. You know, passionless Christianity, I don't think that's even something that exists. I think passionless Christianity is a myth because those two words shouldn't even go together. Because if you're living, if you're a Jesus person, there should be some passion in you. And that's all I, that's all I wanted to say this. It's time to live, and your passion counts because God put it there. See, a passionless person is basically a dead person, someone who's been you know, it's a victim of theft, death, and destruction. You know, And, and, and I don't want to live this life just to exist I want to do what John 10.10 says and live life to its fullest. I want life to exude from me. And a healthy way or a healthy part of exuding life as a follower of Jesus is actually anger. Of course, most of us believe that uh, anger is all wrong. And some of you, you even feel like you are spiritually unfit because you've been angry. And, and God is angry at you now, and, and you're disappointed with yourself. We're going we're gonna to talk about this today because this, that's not always the case. But I want to make one thing crystal clear right here. Here it is. Here it is. It is okay to break the rule, never get angry. As long as you don't lose control. See, it's not okay to be destructive It's not okay to verbally brutalize someone. It's not okay to physically injure someone out of anger. Yet on the other hand, nor nor am I recommending that you take your passion and you just stuff it down inside and and then you, you suffocate other people with silence and sarcasm. That's not right either. 
honestly, it's not wrong for your emotional temperature to rise from time to time. In fact, there are occasions when you should feel anger. In fact, here's a shocker. Anger, some of you are going to be shocked at this, anger is a gift from God. How do I know it's a gift from God? It's because it flows from God's nature. And I- anyway, God, anger actually flows from God's nature. Uh, it flows from his holiness, and it flows from his love. See, here's the deal. Whenever God observes the destructive nature of sin, he just gets mad. He doesn't like that because he doesn't like his creation being destroyed. He loves you, and he loves us. And it's God's, it's, it's God's concern for justice. It's God's concern for righteousness that's at work. So anger is a logical response, and you're going to see it how, today how it even played out in the life of Jesus. So, But if it's part of the nature of God, just part. Now, some people see it as that's all God is. God's just one of this big angry thing, and that's ridiculous. That is so ridiculous. It's just a portion of, of the character of God. It is a portion of our characters as well because we're made in his image. It's logical that we will also express passion regarding justice and righteousness. Now, I've given us a, a working definition for anger today. I hope this works out well with some of you who, who major in psychology. But, but let's just say here, anger is an emotion that arises when we encounter what we perceive to be wrong. Now, that word perceive, I think, is key there because it's, it's a perception. A lot of times we perceive something that really isn't wrong, and, and, and then anger happens like, whoops. Yeah, that, that's what we have to be careful with that. But it's perception of wrong. And it may be reality, it may not be. But, but why do we actually get angry? Well, basically it works this way from my studies, is, is there, there will be an event that will trigger your anger typically. Uh, it could be something like someone cutting you off on Interstate 30 when you were on your way to church. And, and you just like, wait, you're like, I am on my way to church. And then you feel like pulling a Medea, and then you start trying to stay calm. But this adrenaline, almost like what we saw on the screens, adrenaline starts rushing through your body, your heart rate increases, your blood cr- pressure rises and you feel like reacting in these crazy ways and all these ideas start rushing through your mind of ways that you can act out right and if it's not under control you pull a medea <laughs> and that's the danger it's getting it under control I, I i found this scientific survey and regarding anger in men I, I couldn't find one for women but 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 i was a scientific study but i did find this one and, uh, and here are the things that make men angry. Supposedly, disrespect is right at the top, followed by injustice, followed by dishonesty, followed by other drivers. <laughs> and then personal failures. Look at that. I mean, that's, that's huge. 10% are angry at themselves. <laughs> and then hypocrisy. But I look at that first one, I think, wow, you know, that it's, so it would be perceived disrespect and those of you who are men or women i guess that would be all of us <laughs> the truth is is that for men that can be just about anything can you could cause you to perceive disrespect it's different for all men and some uh just absolutely blow their top when they feel disrespected why do they blow their top when they're disrespected well basically somewhere along the line is the man didn't learn how to process anger correctly. So instead of the anger going away or dealing with it different, the anger builds up and he snaps. 
Now, as I was looking, trying to find something comparable with women, I couldn't find anything, but, but I did find something else about women, and this is, this is interesting. It says that, that, uh, that men, it's, it's believed that men get angrier than women, but, uh, but they say that's not the case at all. Really, it's about the same. Men just tend to express their anger differently. So a man will tend to blow up quickly out of an expression of anger, and, uh, and it will be definitely much more obvious. But ladies tend to simmer for a while, and the simmer turns into a slow boil, and then to the huge boil, and that boiling keeps going and going, and then it begins, comes down to an elongated simmer until it's all boiled up, you know, until it's all gone. And at that point, the men have forgotten what they were even angry about in the first place, or, and it's gone. They're, they're, they're like five angers away, you know. It's like, wait, I'm way, way down the road from that. What? What? But a key to keeping your anger in perspective is really controlling the temperature of your anger. Um, and God gives us the ability to do so. And, and I don't want to be overly simplistic here, but the truth is there's something God gives us, and it's called self-control. And you can ask for it from God. God, give me self-control. That should be one of our prayers. If you struggle with angry outbursts, God, give me self-control. And a great way to engage self-control is to actually use one of your five senses, and it's your ears. To use your ears not just to hear sound, but to listen. You can control your temperature by listening. I think it's actually one of the best ways to control anger. Uh, James, the brother of Jesus, he gives us an explanation of how this works, and he uses a couple of terms. He uses the term quick and slow to kind of give us a little bit of a contrast. Take a look at this in James 1, 19 and 20. He said, everyone, that means you and me, everyone, every mom, every dad, every boy, every girl, everybody, should be quick. That means fast, aggressive, to do what? Listen. You see that? Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. How many of you do really, really good at those, at that right up there? Okay, yeah. Uh, well, I do. I, I've, I mastered this. I've always mastered this really well. So I'll just keep talking about it. Now, I'm just kidding, you guys. But this is, this is amazing. This is amazing. In fact, one of the things that, that I tell uh, married couples, you know, this is, that's probably the best marriage counseling scripture that's in the Bible right there. And it's not even in the context of marriage, but it's good. If we'll just put that into our marriages, can you imagine how much more peace? Listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. But it's important to know that when I talk about anger, anger doesn't equate violence. It doesn't mean violence. Often when a person has been... Uh, has experienced some type of abuse or some type of violence as a result of anger. Uh, they see anger, they perceive anger, and and that they, they feel that that's a, that's a threat, and they can sometimes just fall apart because someone else is expressing anger, but it's not violent. But still, abuse and and uh, abuse and violence is 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 wrong. It's just wrong. To anyone who gets angry and then becomes violent or abusive, also must be dealt with by someone who is more powerful than them immediately. And if you're in a condition, you're in a situation where you see that happening, you know that happening, or it's happening to you, you need to talk to someone, me or someone, about seeing that someone more powerful can deal with it, regardless of what the threat is. No one should ever put up with violence and abuse, ever. 
I'm talking spousal abuse, child abuse, any type of relational abuse, it's just wrong. And in general, we believe, though, that, that, that really we believe that, that uh, someone becomes angry when they see somebody else with power exerting some kind of advantage or taking advantage over another person who has less power. When we see that, that's huge. That was, those are two or three that were on that, that list of, of the things that make men angry. And it could be anything. It could be discrimination. It could be abortion. It could be abuse. It could be neglect. Even when hell and sin causes adverse effects into people's lives. And in this case, the wrong, the wrong thing that's happening triggers anger. I, mean, I almost want you to think about it. We get angry at a lot of things. We get angry when little things happen, and there's a lot of them are just perceptions, and it's not even reality, but we get angry at so many things. But shouldn't we be angry about defenseless unborn babies who are killed? Yeah. Shouldn't we be angry when blacks or Jews are mistreated because of their ethnicity? Shouldn't we be angry when children are starving in our world? Yeah. Then why do we remain passionless on those things when we witness those wrongs? Jesus didn't. He expressed his passion appropriately. He expressed anger about injustice. I want you to look at John 2, 13, and we're going to look at this brief story of an incident where Jesus became indignant. There are four of these in the scriptures. Let's look at this one right here. It says, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, doves, and others sitting at the tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both the sheep and the cattle. And he scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. Now, I I like to dig into passages. I really like to dig into them. Um, And I don't want us just to read it on the shallow surface. I, I want us to get into this. At first glance, when you look at this, you might see this. Well, this sounds like some ridiculous Medea trick here. You know, Jesus is coming in and losing his temper. But I don't believe that to be the case at all. Uh, First of all, Jesus was 30 years old when this happened, when he first cleansed the temple. And it wasn't like he was all of a sudden shocked at what he saw and just lost control because he had been seeing these sights all of his life, ever since he could remember. Here's the problem. The problem that was happening is the Jewish religious leaders were teaching that only clean money, only certain kind of money, clean money, which was the Jewish type of money, could be allowed to purchase the, uh, the animals for sacrifice. Now, it was totally legit, even from the law of Moses, it was totally legitimate. It was just fine that you could purchase your sacrifice because that's in the scriptures. But what the religious legalists did is they decided to make it more complicated and say, well, you can only purchase it with clean money. But, but at the Passover, people are coming from all these different countries that they don't have the Jewish money. So if you're a foreigner, you're up against a problem. So the simple and the fair selling of animals for sacrifice 
was not actually the problem. The problem was that these money changers were, 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 were causing these absolutely ridiculous exchange rates to happen, and they were just at the mercy, you know, the people who came, they were just at the mercy of the, the money exchangers. And plus, the price they were putting on the animals were extreme. In other words, it is one of the worst cases of price gouging you can imagine. I remember on September 11th, 2001, after the terrorist attacks on the Pentagon and uh, the World Trade Center, immediately gas stations began raising money. I mean, raising, yeah, they rose, raised a lot of money. They began raising prices. And uh, gas was typically around $1.75 a gallon. But as people panicked, they began lining up at gas stations. And some people said, some gas station owners said, this is a great opportunity for us. Well, for me... Unfortunately, that just happened to be the day my tank was on E. I mean, my, my, it was just like right on E, right at the very end. And I didn't even know how much gas I had left. I, I had a plan that morning, like, yeah, I'll just get some gas on the way home. Well, that kind of blew that, that, that whole idea. And, and so I clearly recall going to the gas station, and I had to sit in line for about 30 minutes because I had an event to go to, a, a city prayer meeting. I had to go home and change, and I needed gas. And so I had to sit there, and I paid five seventy-five a gallon and I bought myself three gallons of gas. I wasn't going to fill up like all the other people, take a loan for that. And the truth is, I felt violated. It was wrong. It was price gouging. I didn't drive my car into the gas station or anything like that. But I felt very, very violated. I felt wronged. Um, now, can you imagine this happening in a religious environment? I mean, in this case, people were coming to the temple courts. They had traveled from other countries to worship God. But without a sacrifice, their trip would have been in vain. And so they get there, and they come to get the sacrifice. And, and then they realizing they have no choice but to submit to the wicked price gouging that was happening right there in the temple courts, they, the, the unfair exchange rights. They had no choice. I can only imagine that Jesus saw this repeatedly year after year going on, and he slowly began to process what was happening. He waited for years to say anything, but finally he expressed his indignation when he fully, I believe, when he fully understood the injustice that was being suffered to the worshipers and the disrespect that was being shown, shown to his father's house. That's why he said, this, my father's house will be a house of prayer for all nations. You see, Jesus was standing up for people who were being taken advantage of financially, and he was standing up for people who were of a different race. He felt anger. He felt anger that the non-Jews were being treated differently. And he wasn't going to put up with the racism. He wasn't going to put up with the gouging. I mean, it was just like injustice on so many different levels that was happening there in the temple. And understanding and knowing that he is God in the flesh, he had no choice but to cleanse the temple. So he wasn't just throwing a Medea fit. <laughs> no, in this setting, Jesus was expressing anger without sinning. In fact, Paul gives us a, a contrast. He talks about that, that we can have anger, but we have to be careful to not sin. He says, he says in your anger, Ephesians 4.26 do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. 
But I've also heard it argued like, well, you know, Jesus, he, his anger caused people's businesses to be destroyed that day. Well, no, I don't believe that because you just, if you read the scripture, it's not, that's not, story's not there. I mean, Jesus didn't destroy their businesses. Here, here's an example is it says very clearly he did not release all the doves out of their cages. Like in some of the movies, I see Jesus making all the doves go fly. No, he didn't do that. <laughs> see, the other animals could have been rounded up pretty easily, and they could have gotten them back together, a little bit of a hassle. The doves, they couldn't have done that, and their businesses would have been ruined. So think about that. Really, that was an act of mercy. He turned over the tables of the money changers. He didn't go and grab all the money and go throw it into the temple treasury, did he? No. It was an act of mercy. He was getting their attention, but he destroyed nothing. It wasn't a Medea knee-jerk reaction. I believe it was well thought through, but it was anger nonetheless. Here's a word of advice. When you feel anger rising up, it's usually, not always, but usually a good idea to not act upon your initial impulse. Swallow your words, walk away if possible, talk with God, process your anger, because if you simply react, you may become destructive and you may even commit sin. See, Solomon says it this way, and this is good. This is good. These are words from a wise man. He says, fools give full vent to their rage. But the wise bring calm in the end. I want to be on the side of the wise, don't you? So, so getting angry or losing your cool, it doesn't mean that you're losing, it doesn't mean that you're necessarily losing control. Yeah, I don't want you to lose control. That's, that's not the right thing to do. And, and don't express your anger if you can't contain your anger and do it appropriately. See, God's anger is always justified and it's always expressed perfectly, but ours isn't because we're imperfect. God doesn't just fly off the handle because of an imaginary evil or because he feels like somebody disrespected me, so I'm just going to show them. <laughs> no. We, on the other hand, we do it all the time. We react over the wrong things, and, and, uh, and it just messes things up even more. You know, when you, when you get angry, do you feel compassion for the person who's caused you to be angry? Yeah, that's something you can even ask God to help you with. God, give me compassion for this person who caused me to be angry. See, because even Jesus, when he was disrespected, insulted, and tortured during his crucifixion, he didn't lose it. Peter, he said this, he says, when they hurled insults at him, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. So Jesus controlled his anger really because of compassion. Because he just really, really genuinely loves people. So instead of retaliating against the people who were disrespecting him and, and, and were crucifying him and mocking him, what Jesus did is he entrusted himself to the Father who will right all wrongs. Now, I just want to tell you something, guys. If you can learn to do that, if you can, if you can allow God to show you compassion in your heart for a person who's, who's being hateful to you, this is actually extremely liberating. I remember when this verse became uh, alive to me and I, I kind of put it into my life, I began realizing that, man, when, when I'm being unjustly attacked for whatever reason, I can just simply look at the person and say with a smile, 
Well, I choose to do like Jesus did, and I am going to entrust myself to God who judges justly, and trust me, he will do a much better job than you ever will. God, judge. And you can do that with a pure heart. And, you, and, you know, and, and uh, every time I've done that, people just kind of look at me and they're like, okay, well, I don't know what to do now. So, <laughs> But in genuine compassion, you can, you can do that. The attack will usually end. And if you feel compassion for that person who's wronging you, the truth is it's really very simple to do. It's not an outburst against them either. So when we get angry, I'm saying we cannot lose control, guys, ladies. As a follower of Jesus, instead we need to let his passion flow through us. Our anger is actually at the very heart of who we are. I mean, tell me what you're angry about, and I'll tell you what's important to you. As you continue to grow in your Christian maturity, as you continue to walk down the believer's path, I encourage you to allow your anger to focus upon injustice. Let your anger focus upon hatred and selfishness and abuse. And if you have the passion and the life of Jesus flowing through your veins, then you can really live. That's why I say it's time to live, and you can let your passion count. I'm not asking you to be ugly. I'm certainly not telling you to be hateful at all. I am asking you to let the passion of Jesus' heart be manifest in you. This past weekend, this past week we were celebrating Independence Day, the date where uh, the Declaration of Independence was first signed. And this July 4th, I was sitting down for breakfast with my family. We had a nice family time together. And I asked us to consider what our ancestors actually fought for. Because, you see, my great times six, so it would be great great, 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 great grandfather, William Woody, he immigrated to the colonies, most likely to escape religious persecution in England. See, William was a Quaker, and the Quakers were at odds with the British government. The Church of England, empowered by the British government, encouraged slavery, and they believed that only special people have rights. Uh, It was a corrupt church, that was empowered and emboldened by a corrupt government. Great, 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 great grandpa William Woody was a Quaker, but that would have meant he was also a pacifist. Yet, I've discovered that according to Revolutionary War records, William Woody and his son, my great times five grandfather, Tarleton Woody, they fought against the British. Because they deeply believed in the words that are in the Declaration of Independence, which paralleled their faith, which is why they came to this nation. These words that said, we hold these truths, truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. And they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. That among these are life, liberty, and and the pursuit of happiness. When the British came and they began their assault, these former Brits themselves, colonists, the Woodies, they fought back. They fought back for their families. They fought back for their faith. They even fought back for the Quaker ideals that not one person is more important to God than another. Let me ask you, what righteous ideal ignites your passion? 
See, four different times in the scriptures we see that Jesus was indignant. Two of them were when he cleansed the temple. It happened actually twice. The other time was when he healed a person on the Sabbath and the religious leaders were saying, you can't do that. Stop helping people. That's breaking the law. And the fourth time is really interesting. A lot of people don't even know this, but it's the same level of intense emotion that's when the disciples prevented the children from coming to see Jesus and to receive a blessing. It's found in Mark chapter 10, 13. I want you to look at this. This is the fourth of the incidents on the same level as the cleansing of the temple. Do you know that the, that word indignant, that's actually the strongest emotion that's expressed by Jesus in the entire New Testament. So as people were bringing the little children to Jesus for him to place their hands on him, but the disciples rebuked them. That means they got harsh with him. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. Now, I know the, I'll just tell you this, the Jesus movies gets it wrong every time right here because I've seen the Jesus movies. You know, they, they get it wrong again. But, uh, but, but this, what Jesus says, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them. No, he was indignant. The same level as when he cleansed the temple. And so he said, you better let those children come to me. And don't you dare hold them back because the kingdom of God belongs to these. Now, now you have to understand, they thought of children as less than. They thought of children as nobodies back then in that culture. And Jesus said, let me let you know something. I don't care how old, how young a person is. I don't care what their gender is. That person is wonderful in my sight. And he let them all come. He said, truly, I tell you, that unless you receive the kingdom of God like a child, in other words, if you don't start acting like a child, then you're not even going to get into the kingdom of God. He was, he was very, very, very ticked off that day. <laughs> and then he took the children in his arms, which means he, didn't, he wasn't crazy because the kids weren't scared of him. They came to him like, well, I like that man. He took the children in his arms. He placed their hands on them and blessed them. Could you imagine being a child being blessed by God in the flesh? Oh, my word. See, Jesus burned with anger. And all four of those situations when helpless people were being wronged. Jesus burned with anger when the religious elite said, you can't heal people. Jesus burned with anger when the, the disciples, his own disciples said, you, these children can't see him. The, no. See, anger can be a blessing. And it's time to live because your passion counts. But the passion in your anger has to be appropriately challenged. And God's anger also is not directed at you to beat you down. It is directed at hell's attempt to destroy you and pull you under. And he wants that to stop. And it does make him angry when he sees you being assaulted and beat down by hell. At the same time, God offers you self-control so that you can properly channel your own anger. And God also gives you forgiveness. If you've ever used your anger to injure or destroy, he can forgive you as if it never happened. Now, how perfect is that? Doesn't sound like an angry, grouchy God, does it? No. See, God, he offers life and life to the full. And there's no reason to keep floating through life all bound up with out of control anger and rage. 
And there's no reason to go through life living with bland passionlessness. Now lean into God. Lean into life. God has something special for you if you'll just lean into what he wants you to be angry about. You just all across this room, just close your eyes for a moment. You might be here and you've never really surrendered your life to Jesus. Possibly you've drifted from God. Maybe you've had this idea in your mind, God is just this angry God who's trying to send everyone to hell. Please understand this, hell is, is a place that was not prepared for people. It was never prepared for people. It was prepared for the devil and his angels, demons. That's what it was prepared for. It's not prepared for you. But if we don't accept Jesus Christ into our lives, we're allowing ourselves to be dragged into hell by those forces of hell that they, because they just want to mock God. They want to destroy God's creation. See, by accepting Jesus Christ into your life, you set yourself free from that curse of sin and the curse of death. You can have eternal life through Jesus Christ. Maybe you've drifted from God. Maybe you're away from him. You just, today you say, I I want that new opportunity. Well, I'm going to give you a chance to respond. The way to respond is just by simply lifting your hand. When I count to three, I'm going to say one, two, three. Just lift your hand. That way I can see your hand and connect my faith with yours. And then we will pray together. And you can walk into newness of life today before you leave this room. Jesus loves you more than you can imagine. Jesus died for you so you can have life forever. Everything can change today for you. Who in this room will say, that's me, Pastor Tim. I need Jesus in my life. Would you just lift your hand for me right now? I need Jesus. I need Jesus in my life. Today's the day I want to accept Christ into my life. Thank you. Here's all I'd like for us to do. I want everyone to stand. Please, everyone standing. I would like for you to pray these words in faith with me all across this room. If you lifted your hand, I want you to pray this prayer in faith, asking Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life. Pray this, dear Jesus, thank you for dying for my sin. I believe you're the Son of God. Please forgive my sins. It's time for me to really live. I give up my past, and I embrace the future that you have for me. Help my passion to be released, the passion of God. (laughs) God, give me self-control also. Help me to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. And God, let your life just flow through me. (laughs) In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's message. You know, City Life Church, we are all about developing followers of Jesus who influence and shape culture. And it's possible that you are even feeling a a shift that is coming in your life or possibly deep down inside you feel called to something more. And City Life might be a part of that future. Let me tell you, Launch Sunday is the big event that's coming up, and it's happening on February 10th, 2019. And if you'd really like to be a part of what God is doing in downtown Fort Worth through City Life Church, I'm asking you to go and visit our website at citylifefw.org and click the launch button. Uh, You could also just come and visit one of our services because I, I really believe the future is bright and it's limitless in potential. I want you to hear my vision. I want you to be a part of what God is doing at City Life and come and chat with me personally after one of the services.